Warning, this episode includes a discussion of crafting with animal remains and the process of doing so. If you're sensitive to this subject, you may want to skip the segment from 1432 to 2512. You're listening to the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. We're very serious crafters. And we craft very serious crafts. Very serious. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Episode 9 of the Very Serious Crafts Podcast. I'm Heidi from Hands Occupied. And I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors. Today, it's just Team Hailey. Woo! Woo! Uh, our usual third host, Molly, gave us that nickname kind of accidentally, <laughs> but we kind of love it, yeah. so we're going to go with it. Well, she's gallivanting around the globe, specifically in England, and we're deeply jealous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here talking about uh, floss geekery, microbiology in crafting, mm-hmm. and... Our very favorite knitting needles and crochet hooks. I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. I have a lot of opinions. Mm -hmm. So many opinions. (laughs) Yep. Um, So it's probably worth noting since it is just Team Hailey today. um, This is, I am Heidi and I am talking right now. Haley, what does your voice sound like? (laughs) I'm Haley and I'm talking right now. So I was talking to my mom. This is Heidi again. (laughs) I was talking to my mom on the phone the other day, and she was listening to the podcast, and she tried to call me out on pretending that I didn't have a sibling. I have a little brother. Um, (laughs) And so my own mother cannot tell Haley and I's voices apart. So our names both start with H. We both have glasses. We both have bobbed hair with bangs, and apparently we talk the same. (laughs) So team Haley indeed. (laughs) Yeah, so sorry if you can't tell us apart. Um, We've both got a little bit of that Daria inflection happening, I think. Yeah. So I don't know. It is what it is. Yeah. So how are are you doing this week, Haley? Not too bad, Heidi. (laughs) Um, I, I have discovered a... An unlikely thing for me to have discovered Mm -hmm. that is sort of at the intersection between crafting and makeup. And I guess I should add some context here. I don't wear makeup. Like, it's just not my thing. I did back in my gothy teenage youth. So I am aware of makeup and historically have been good at it. But I probably haven't worn makeup except for very specific events for um, more than a decade. Mm -hmm. And so I somehow fell into this internet rabbit hole this week of magnetic false eyelashes. And I am just fascinated. Like, I, I... I don't like the idea. I never wore false eyelashes because I have gigantic sparkly glasses. So, mm-hmm. like, eye makeup is deeply optional for me. <laughs> um, but also, like, I, I don't like the mess of mascara and, like, eyelash glue. Like, that just seems like I'm going to do something terrible and then have a caterpillar on my face. <laughs> and so... These magnetic false eyelashes look so interesting because, and especially in in the videos you can find on the internet of watching people put them on, Mm -hmm. they just pink together and then they're perfect. Huh. 
I'm sure it's not that easy. I'm sure that takes a lot of practice. But I really, really want to try them. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know why. I don't have any desire to, like, have, like, the big diva eyelash look. Like, that has never been on my list of of looks to go for. <laughs> and I have, like, I have dark eyelashes, but they're blonde at the tips, mm-hmm. so they're... Like, they would be nice, except they fade into non-existence. So you have a natural ombre eyelash? <laughs> I do. I do. And my hair is sort of naturally like that, too. I have all of the colors yeah. going on. But I just, I'm really obsessed. And I've never even seen them in person. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know where you would go. Like, I don't know who reputable eyelash dealers are. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I just need to walk into a Sephora and be like, excuse me, would you kindly point me in the direction of your high quality magnetic false eyelashes? Yeah. Uh, or your purveyor of, of <laughs> such things? Because they're... I, I don't know. I just want to play with them. I'm sure it would devolve into me, like, putting eyelashes on things that don't want eyelashes. Yes. Like, there would be fabric-wearing eyelashes. <laughs> I'm sure my dress form would have eyelashes. But I just... They're neat, and I want to play with them, and I don't even know why. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, as the resident blonde on this podcast... <laughs> <laughs> the, the resident very blonde. Yeah. My eyelashes are very blonde, but they're long, but I also wear glasses, so I, I tend to wear mascara. But mascara and concealer are kind of my go-tos because I'm also so fair-skinned. I'm like, oh, I gotta deal with these bags a little, especially if I'm doing a video or a photo shoot. Um, oh, I and- should, but I don't. I just let it all... I, I, I let it be framed in the glasses yeah. because eh, nothing to be done. Yeah. Well, and mine are so light, it just it looks like I have no eyelashes if I don't right. put something on. Um and so I'm big. I'm big team mascara, but I'm also so paranoid about like accidentally ripping out my eyelashes and having them never come back. I've never done fake eyelashes ever. Yeah, like like, like they freak me out. So I'm. If you do these magnetic lashes, you'll have to report back because they sound fascinating. Well, I guess there are two layers. So the magnetic part is they're not. You're not like applying a magnetic strip to like the area above your eye it's not like magnetic eyeliner which is what i thought which would actually also be very cool i I initially was like how does the science work yeah um but no it's just two thin layers of of eyelashes and one goes under your eyelash and one goes over it and so they snap together Mm -hmm. and form like one unit visually yeah visually consistent unit yeah um but, yeah, it, it, it's a thing. I will have to put a link to one of these videos in the show notes. Although I'm pretty sure what I watched was an advertisement <laughs> and over and over and over again. Yeah. So I've been getting, like, these eyelash, eyelashes advertised to me because clearly Instagram thinks that I want them and I can't stop watching the video. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, it, I, I get a little bit obsessed. I get a little bit obsessed with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've had another obsession this week also. Um, so I'm right now working on designing a bunch of cross-stitch patterns for a project that I can't really talk about publicly yet. <laughs> and so because I'm 
doing a lot of cross-stitch design, like I, uh, and I do that in Illustrator, there's a lot of me, like, eyeballing my color card, like my DMC floss color card. <laughs> and I, I have the nice one with actual floss samples, which mm, is helpful. Yeah. Not, not the printed one. Um, but I'm, like, holding up the color book to my screen to try to get the colors just right. And so I was, I was thinking that somebody must have solved this problem because anybody who designs things that go in pixelated, organized grids... Mm-hmm probably has like someone in that group has already been like I'm gonna make a spreadsheet yeah of of this particular color issue so I discovered that there are several resources on the internet that convert DMC floss color code numbers mm-hmm to their RGB counterparts so you can drop the colors right in Mm -hmm. um and so there are there are spreadsheets that you can find there's an actual like someone created an interactive website that just does that Ah, um that's so smart it's cool um my favorite happens to be a csv that i just search because i find that to be the the fastest way to do it. Wait, you're searching something in the most efficient way possible? I never, Haley. Oh, I know. Shocking, <laughs> right? Um, and I like it in a spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm super geeking out about this. And I'm positive this is not news to anyone. Matter of fact, I am also quite sure that I um, I used to write for um, Craft Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I'm quite sure that I featured this on the <laughs> craft blog back in the day and so like I don't even think this is the first time I've seen it but it's definitely the first time I have gotten really really geeky about it Mm -hmm. and I uh, it's just so satisfying to be like all right that color that color has a color value I can just go ahead and drop in this number and then they match. Oh, that's so, so nice. Whoever did this did it well. Yeah. I mean, there have been relatively few of them that I've adjusted ever so slightly because my my husband, who is a designer, uh, calibrated my monitor mm-hmm. um, when he was calibrating his, since he does um, a lot of like motion graphics and video design. So the color values matter a lot. So I trust the calibration of my monitor pretty well and most of them like just have been right yeah and it's so satisfying and i will make a list for our show notes and anybody else who wants to be super geeky about it (laughs) can go ahead and be super geeky about it right along with me yeah that's awesome because i just finished designing um a couple episodes I talked about Knitter's Graph Paper and about my uh, pixel ratio that I used in designing a chart for an Intarsia blanket, um, which by the time this episode comes out will be available for pre-sale. There's a shameless plug for you. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, but as you were talking about having this resource for... Wait, wait, what's the name of the pattern? You should really plug it. If you <laughs> I haven't decided for sure what I want it to be. I'm leaning towards Intarsia Mountain. Um, but I have a couple more weeks as of recording today to decide. It'll probably be in Tarja right, Mountain. Right. 
<laughs> It'll probably be in Tarja Mountain, but I'm deciding. Well, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'm deciding. And so the final thing will be in the show notes. Anyway, plugs aside, um, as I was designing this, because it's a pattern that's nine different colors, um, I was hoping to find a um, the best possible way to reconcile my yarn color with my chart color and I was trying color right. pickers and all these different things but the photo of the yarn on the website wasn't necessarily with like the the varying light and shadows color picking yes. wasn't working yeah so when I was designing I ended up choosing colors that were in the neighborhood of the correct color but had the best contrast with the grid lines because it's um such a wide and tall pattern with such long sections of color, I just went for what visually would work the best and would be the most user-friendly, right. especially for folks that might have, um, like, some color perception impairment. Sure. And so I went for practical over accurate on that chart. Um, I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I worried over that for so long. But with knitting versus using embroidery floss, there's so many different yarn brands and hand-dyed colors and custom colorways and all these things that oh, yeah. there would I don't think it would be at all practical for a resource like that to exist for knitting because there's just too many different yarn brands to contend with and fibers and yeah it's this works largely because while there are different companies that do embroidery floss and do it well like there's still no arguing against the fact that dmc is the industry standard for that sort of thing yeah um most most craft stores carry that um and it is like even when you're looking at most like cross stitch books those are the color codes that are included yeah and there are conversion charts for those mm-hmm. um like going from dmc to other different brands and those i have found like sullivan's um makes some actually very nice embroidery floss as well um and i've found some conversion charts between those two but it's not not very practical for yarns. Yeah. Although, isn't aren't there yarn substitution um, services? I think, or I I feel like I recently heard about a website that that did that. But it might be yarn weight that I'm thinking of. It might be because I'm not familiar with that myself. Um, and then often, and you would be. I think. yeah, Pro- I would. I would. I would think so. <laughs> if it exists and we don't know, somebody tell us, yeah, please. Absolutely. So there's not really a good way to transition to my next topic of discussion for this episode of the podcast because it involves beheaded animals. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so once again, my dad is about to be the subject of a strange discussion <laughs> of unique crafting behavior. Um, oh, Heidi's dad. So shout out to Tom. Hey, dad. hi tom (laughs) um he's very excited because i told him i was going to talk about his animal head related crafts on this podcast and he's been texting me pictures all week of these animal Uh. heads (laughs) so my dad he, he loves hunting and fishing he grew up on a farm in minnesota very very midwestern rural very that um so uh, yeah, and Haley's vegan and I'm vegetarian, just P.S. <laughs> but I grew up around a lot of hunting and fishing. Like, I was fishing as yeah, a little so child. Um, so when you go hunting, you do it because it helps control 
I'll use since we're talking about deer specifically here, um, it helps control the deer overpopulation problem and it can help control the spread of disease and things like that and also help with like driving safety because when there's overpopulation and deer go out into the street, they jump into cars and it can be super dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad hunts. Um, he's even working on getting his... Um, Last time I checked, he's working on getting his bow hunting license to be able to hunt deer in town in Fargo, where he lives, Fargo, North Dakota. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> he lives by the river, and so there's all these deer right there, but they're right up in a residential area, not far oh, from main streets, so they allow bow hunting if you can pass the test for safer population control. So, like, I'm walking... just trying to decide whether or not I would feel better about somebody <laughs> shooting with a bow versus another type of never mind that may be a rabbit hole we don't want to go down yeah (laughs) anyway all right so yeah obviously the man's got skills yes he does he's been hunting and fishing his entire life um (laughs) and so especially now i'm talking like i didn't learn how to shoot a gun and also shoot a bow and arrow at summer camp as a kid growing up like yeah come on Uh, uh Midwest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and my dad would actually, when we were little, we had um, the old roll-down blinds in our house. Mm-hmm. And they had a, a little, like, kind of ruler-shaped piece of wood to weigh the bottom of the blind. And so we had extras of those. And he took those and and um, took some fishing line and, and, like, tied fishing line into little notches on it and made tiny bows and arrows. And, and, he, and he gave us unsharpened pencils that he cut a little notch into so we could practice shooting tiny pencil bow and arrows as kids. Which That's fun. It sounds like a recipe for losing an eye, but we didn't. Um, I mean, most of, like, 80s childhood is a recipe for losing an eye, and most of us are fine. Yep, exactly. So my dad was very much teaching us how to hunt and fish at a young age. And so now that we're adults and not at home, he has more time to hunt and fish. And his latest thing has been, whenever he gets a deer, um, making some kind of shrine to it in the basement of my parents' house. So these shrines involve... It's, like, all around the mantle in the fireplace. So at Christmas, when we go to put our stockings, we have to, like, remove all of this stuff or decorate around it. Um, so there is... I'm just picturing, like... Uh, stockings hanging off of antlers. Yes. I mean, that's actually a totally normal Midwestern and probably elsewhere uh, thing. Yeah. Thing. (laughs) So the the thing is, though, that makes Tom's hunting shrine unique is he has photos (laughs) next to the deer heads. And um, there's photos from trail cams of the deers while the deer while they were alive, first of all. And there's also photos of him sitting next to the deer that he just hunted, and then their head above it. No! (laughs) No. No. Where are you going with this, So, (laughs) to get the head ready for shrinage in the basement, (laughs) he, you know... Like, is this, like, a, a thank you, you were useful sort of thing? I think so. And it's also just a, like, I am men, I hunted deer kind of Ooh, thing. Right. I forgot about that aspect of this. <laughs> um, so to get the deer heads <sighs> to the point of being skulls that get mounted on the wall. Right. My dad, you know, he prepares the deer. He gets the meat out. He makes, like, jerky. And, like, they eat all the meat. Like, they actually, at this point... 
I believe most of the meat they consume is duck, fish, deer, pheasant that he has procured himself. So it's actually pretty eco-friendly if you're doing your own hunting. Oh, sure. My stepdad does that. Yeah. And he's fully licensed and everything. So it's all very Mm -hmm. above board. So it's actually interesting that he saves these heads now because I don't, to my memory, he didn't necessarily used to do that. Um, But now he saves them. And so he gets the deer already and then he's got the head beheaded. And he's Uh got to get all the flesh off because it's disgusting. And he's also a microbiologist. (laughs) Okay, there we are. Yep, there. I I pulled the train into the station. Um, (laughs) So what my dad does is he takes these deer heads... And usually it's in the fall. So he, like, puts all the compost in his garden for the winter, puts in the bulbs in the garden for the winter, but then takes these (laughs) deer heads and to protect the antlers so they don't get all chewed up by little critters all winter who are hungry in Fargo because there's nothing to eat, he wraps them in tinfoil to protect the antlers from getting chewed on by by critters. So the deer gets a tinfoil hat? Yeah. At least least tinfoil earmuffs or antler muffs. Then... He buries the skull part. The skull part gets buried in the garden. Like, their garden where they grow vegetables during the summer. That makes sense. And so he uses microbiology because you bury the skull in the ground over the winter, so all of the little bugs and, like, bacteria and other little microscopic dudes living in the ground can go ahead and do all that work for you. And actually, quite eco-friendly and natural, they're just eating dead flesh. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that, like, historically how articulated skeletons, like, have been made? Like, aren't, there's a certain type of beetle, I yeah. think, that, like, with that historical job, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am creepy and weird and know about articulated skeleton <laughs> um, preservation, it would seem. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, this, so, okay. is, this is completely natural. Um, it's a, just a very unique crafting technique. And every spring, like this year, I was FaceTiming with him. Crafting technique. Yeah. (laughs) And this spring, I was FaceTiming with him, and he was like, I'm going to go check on my skulls. And so he's walking around the yard (laughs) holding his phone. And he's, like, holding the camera selfie style while he's pulling the deer head out of the ground and, like, hitting it with a stick to knock out, like, the last of the, like, organic materials to see if all the fur and skin is gone. And then it's all clean, and he, he rinses it. Um, and then mounts it. And they look really cool because it's a skull, like, because bones are interesting looking. But turns out there are many ways to do crafts, and sometimes they involve microbiology. Huh. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I can't really argue with bones in crafting. I mean, historically, like, bobbin lace bobbins have been made of, of bovine bone. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes not bovine bone. Um, there, there are lots of really, really interesting things. I mean, uh, early knitting needles and crochet hooks and even needles and thread. Mm-hmm. They've all been made with bone also. Yeah. Well, not thread, but, um, that, that would be sinew. But, um, but bones have actually long been a really strong crafting material mm-hmm. yeah that's that's interesting yeah like I, I wasn't making that connection uh, right away because i was too busy making a horrified face into <laughs> the camera that the listeners can't see but heidi can uh-huh. um but yeah i i actually thought you were gonna go in a taxidermy 
direction. Mm-hmm. Um, since, well, I live in Brooklyn. I mean, th- that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That is a crafting trend yeah. that has swept through Brooklyn. Um, but, huh, that, that's interesting. Yeah. And sometimes he'll also make, like, these marbling dye baths for a finished skull. Um, and you can dip cool. you can dip the plain skull into like paint colors. Oh, that's porous. And yeah, yeah. and then pull it out, and it's really cool looking. Um, no, that's that yeah. makes complete sense. That is a porous material. Yeah, it's really interesting. My dad's getting really into these like skull crafts <laughs> for his shrine. <laughs> I mean, it, that's neat. It's, and I do think that we should remember that. Many traditional crafting materials have historically been bone mm-hmm. because it was readily available. And like when the idea is to use everything, yeah, the logical thing, I mean, yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. i I don't personally, uh, I don't think I have any bone tools. Uh, I'm trying to think because I feel like I'm the variety of weird that would, but <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I've got like shell um, and pearl, mm-hmm. a- and I mean, arguably the biological materials. But my, I have to say that I generally stick with. I'm a big fan of metal tools, yeah. broadly, and so usually I stick with aluminum or stainless or something like that um and my absolute favorite for basically any kind of crafting is generally aluminum if it's if it's going to be strong enough Mm -hmm. because it's so light and it doesn't usually say hurt my hands yeah like my favorite 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 um Crochet hooks are available basically everywhere. Mm-hmm. They are like the old school um, uh, Susan Bates Silvaloom crochet yeah, hooks. Those are great. They you can get them for like it, a whole set of them for like ten bucks, and they're so light and they have nice little pointed tips on them, and the hook is. Uh, deep and sharp Mm -hmm. and it really really grabs the yarn in a way that really works for me because I'm impatient and also move quickly Mm -hmm. and so I I'm kind of obsessed with like the cheapest most widely available old school crochet hook yeah I think the key there is old school because there are a lot of crochet hooks even from some of these brands that more recently have often been acquired by bigger and bigger companies and they're just like a little sub-brand that Mm -hmm. some giant company has that might not even be a craft company anymore. And I've noticed when I've gotten some recent hooks, usually in like bigger sizes that I didn't inherit or find at a thrift store or whatever. And I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the plastic hooks. Like there's not enough weight to them and I'm working with them and I'm like, I can't, I, I feel like there's an imbalance in my hands when I crochet if I'm not using something physically weighty enough and if it's too short because there's some medium to bulky plastic crochet hooks I won't say the brand because other people might love them but they're a little short and they're so light that I'm like like I'll use them 
for like one project, but I just, they feel very uncomfortable to me. Yeah, I, I have historically made big wooden, like if I, if I want a really big crochet hook, yeah. I, I have carved them because they're more satisfying. But it's, it's funny that for the smaller ones, I like aluminum because I like that they're light. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's why I love the Susan Bates hooks because they don't tire out my hands mm-hmm. when I'm holding them. But I also, I think I, I need a hook heavy enough to, to resist against the yarn. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get really big, the plastic ones aren't ideal. Yeah. Um, but I also just, I like sharp things. <laughs> I, I cannot, like I've had, I initially, before I gave up and bought all Susan Bates Silva Loom stuff, I had like a fancier, like an entire set of fancier, uh, like ergonomically correct crochet hooks and they just weren't sharp enough to push the yarn out of the way mm-hmm. in the way that I wanted them to and I would get so mad and they would let go of the yarn when I was pulling like because I my stitches tend to be a little tight and and it, it would make me so mad <laughs> and so it, it's sort of to my delight that the answer is not fancy. Yeah. Um, and, like, it, similarly with, with really liking sharp things. I, I like the fancy knitting needles instead of the most commonly available ones in craft stores because I like really sharp metal knitting needles. Yep. It's really funny. I'm yeah. exactly the same way. I like cheap crochet hooks and expensive knitting needles. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, I swear by the Addy Turbo Lace circulars. Mm-hmm. I use them for everything, and I have the Addy Click interchangeable. Like, I have the, the long lace Okay, circulars. that was my next question. Yeah. Um, apparently, they're called, like, the ones I especially like. I don't think they've always been called this, but they're apparently called Turbo Rockets these yeah. days. Yeah. Like, the especially sharp ones. Yeah, or so- um, the, their sock rockets I love, especially yeah, for two too. at a time. Yeah, Yes, sock rockets, which is how I how I fell into this love affair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I have the um, the Addy uh, interchangeable, but the long lace tips yeah. instead of the short ones, and I really really like them. And I also have the interchangeable crochet hooks mm. that can also snap on, which I really like for binding off or casting mm-hmm. on. Um, but though but i i don't love the addy crochet hooks like it's really useful to have them in the interchangeable set but they're just not sharp enough well how do you feel so my i am i love addy needles except i don't love my clicks the most and i'm a big inter- interchangeable needles fan mm-hmm. but the clicks i have an issue sometimes and i've talked to other people in knitting circles about this um an issue occasionally with them unclicking so like it's that nice. hasn't ever happened to me. And, it's, and I keep waiting for it to. Yeah, I run into it the most if I'm knitting in the round um, or if I'm knitting like a shawl or something bigger and like the weight of the prod yeah. of your work in progress is heavy. That will sometimes mess with it. I tend to use um, like my I tend to use a longer than necessary cable because I like to magic loop. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that might spread out the tension. Yeah. A little more. So it doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't usually use the, like, shortest 
cables because it feels like I will just accident, like just in moving, like rotating my hand that mm-hmm. I'm going to accidentally unlock them. Yeah. But I have not had that issue, but I've been expecting it. Yeah. Well, for <laughs> me, for me, my go-to um, interchangeables are Knitter's Pride Carbons. Um, yeah. I don't, I love them because the tip is pointy, but it's not crazy long. So I yeah. like the longer tip for actual lace knitting for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause it gives you that a little bit more room to play. And I think it helps with your tension. And I, I find that there's less of a difference for me between the blocked and finished knit. If I'm lace knitting with the longer, really nice yeah, sharp tips. But if I'm doing something at a worsted weight or larger, which I regularly do, especially for like my blog projects, I yeah. really love the shorter tip, but carbons is nice because they're pointy, but shorter. So it's almost the tip is metal but the body of the needle is this black carbon material that's super strong and also it wicks less heat away from your hands so if you have a lot of rsi issues or if you're knitting in the middle of the winter it's nice because your hands don't lose that heat and so that can help with your circulation because you're keeping your heat in your own hands instead of it getting wicked away into your project or the needle or the air um and i love those because they do have a key that locks in um so when you screw the tip on there's a little piece of metal you can even just use a straight pin and you put it in a little hole and that gives you the leverage to tighten up the screw mechanism and oh yeah i have a a set of tunisian crochet hooks that have that yeah and yeah i think knitter's pride for interchangeable especially the carbons are my hard preference for that because then i can just lock it in and leave it and i've only ever in the course of several years of knitting and designing i've only ever had one or two um of the screw connections go bad Mm-hmm. Um, from either the, the threads on the cable needle or, uh, or excuse me, of the, um, the flexible cable. I've only ever yeah. had that threading or the threading on the tip go bad like once and they've been really cool. That's not bad. Yeah. And I, I, I just really love those. But the, on the other hand, if I'm just like, it's late at night, I'm trying to just cast on a project to add to my WIP pile because I have this fun idea. I'll grab an Addy first because I can click the tip on in two seconds and not need a key right. and all that stuff. So I, I use them both, but I think for when I'm doing serious, like deadline long term knitting, I'm always doing the carbons. I mean, that makes sense. Especially, like, if you're if you're doing a thing for work, yeah. there's a bit more pressure on it, too. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm I'm actually, weirdly enough, more worried about the thread stripping oh, than yeah. I am uh, of the lock unhooking on the Addy, as long as I know that it's seated. Yeah. Um, because the stripping of the thread, and, I mean, I grew up working in a hardware store, mm-hmm. so... I think I have like a, a healthy fear of strip threads <laughs> in a way that that might be very specific to my life yeah. experience. Oh, and um, and to clarify for any of the audience, when we say strip threads, we're talking about on the screw mechanism, like you would strip a piece of hardware, yeah, and yeah. not a sewing thread. Just FYI. Oh yeah, yeah. That that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So so like the actual screwing in mechanism of of the needle. Yeah. Um. Um, which doesn't happen very often. It's just a thing I'm afraid of. Yeah. Um, the last tool I wanted to talk to you about um, on this subject was, um, have you seen, while, we, while we've been talking about Addy needles, um, have you seen the new Flexi Flips that they have? And this is not sponsored at all. These are just tools that we come across as craft designers. Um, no. What in the world is a Flexi <laughs> Isn't that name funny? 
Yeah, and I'm on their website yeah, right so, now, and I don't see a flexi flip. <laughs> um, so picture in your mind a set of double pointed needles, and picture in your mind next to those double pointed needles a picture of circular needles. Now imagine okay. a circular needle with a cable that's like two inches long. So you use these needles like DPNs, but they have a super short cable. So if you're trying to knit on DPNs in the round, but you really don't like that you're one, that you're working with a straight unflexible knitting needle the flexi flips let you use dpn techniques oh i have one i found one while i was running (laughs) on Um, the ground (laughs) i found one on the ground in um on the brooklyn heights promenade while i was running and i was like how is this useful yeah like you can't like i thought it was maybe a sock needle like and it was definitely it's an addy needle yeah but I definitely found one on the ground and have one, and I've, I've just Googled them, and so I'm now looking at it. Yeah. I, I own one of these, um, but... You need more than one, I think, for it to be effective. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely brought it home with me, and it might it might be a little longer than this, so it mm-hmm. might not be exactly that, especially because I, this was several years ago, mm-hmm. so I don't feel like they were around. They're pretty, then, they're pretty new, yeah. My head's in a hole? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, huh. Yeah. I'm, huh. I'm really excited to try them. Um, they just, they, they seem fascinating, and everyone I know that's tried so them likes them. So you use them like regular DPN. Yes. Like in the same, like, one-to-one quantity. Yeah, so you would, um, you would so need... So, like, if you're using, like, five... DPNs um, on a sock, you would use five of these flexi flips. Yeah, I mean, depending on your technique and what you're comfortable with, my understanding is you can use less because you have that flexibility. Um, hmm. Yeah, you have that flexibility, and I it, they're interesting to me for doing something really tiny, like if you were doing like a baby sock. Um, Hmm. I'm so used to DPNs, though. Like, with all of my tools, I tend to be pretty old school because I inherited so much of them from my great-grandma. It might be good for, like, grafting or finishing off hats or mm-hmm. something. Like, the things where you end up with, like, one stitch on the needle and are yeah. trying to... Or even, like, I-cord? Yeah. And I think they'd... Yeah, I bet for I-cord especially. And I think they'd even be less of a pain in the butt for, um, like, if you're doing, like, underarm stitches with grafting. And it's nice because then you don't have to sit there and be mm. like, I'm going to do magic loop with a cord that's, like three feet long with two stitches and then you're going to affect your tension because you're pulling the cable through like one or two stitches right so i've seen these i know they're popular i know they keep selling out at my local yarn shops so that's interesting well i've never i've never seen them but now that i've now that i've looked at them i i feel very inclined to give them a try yeah Maybe we'll have to both try them and report, and and maybe even have Molly try them and report back since there's just such a different thing. But I get where the concept comes from. The name's a bit silly. I'll say that. I don't have any qualms of saying that Flexi Flips is kind of a, like, huh, that name? Um, like, okay. Yeah. I, I see why you went with that. Yeah. But, um, huh. I get, but I also get the logic because, like, two at a time toe up socks are so popular. It's, I think it's the logic connection makes sense to me for where this tool came from but when i first saw them by themselves i was like what is this right yeah well i'm and i'm now looking at them like on amazon i think they may have had several incarnations of names um because there there's a bunch of listings for addy crazy trios 
um, like two millimeter. <laughs> Crazy trios. Uh, maybe that is what they are called. Like, Addy's a German company, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, so maybe that is, I mean, that is not German. No. But maybe that is what they are called, not here. But, like, the top, the first listings are that. You have enough German that you, would you know how to say crazy trio in German? Uh, Lustige Dritte? <laughs> That's the name of this podcast in German. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although I I can't remember if I did the right endings on on all of the yeah. things. I mean, yeah, but I, I think Die Lustige Dritte is the answer. Um, that's really funny. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, that's not what they're called. Yeah. Um, so Heidi, do you know what time it is? What time is it? I don't know, but I think I hear a train <gasps> pulling into the station. Do you, do you hear that? Exactly. It's coming in. It's coming in. Um, <laughs> All aboard. The train of shame. <laughs> All right. So my, my train of shame entry, uh, my ticket uh, to board the train of shame this time is... One that is kind of a good problem and a bad problem to have, which is that I am right now very busy with deadline work, which is a great problem to have when you are a professional crafter. Like, that means people want you to do things. They've hired you to do things. You have work. Yay. Congrats. Yay, work. <laughs> exactly. And the only problem with having a bunch of deadline work is that, like, my my work consists of basically three different areas. One is whatever deadline work I'm doing at any given moment. One is this podcast. And then the third is my own website. Mm -hmm. And the podcast has specific deadlines. The deadline work has specific deadlines. (laughs) So the thing that is most flexible, which isn't a bad thing, uh, always, is my own work when the deadlines are largely self-imposed. And so when things get busy and I need to move things around, that is that is the place that has the most give and the thing that, that gives most readily. Yeah. And so I have been... Beating myself up all week because I have been, like, hitting deadlines on my deadline work like nobody's business, like, doing the work when I'm supposed to be doing the work and getting a lot of stuff done, like, being really productive. And then I reach the point in my day where I'm supposed to be doing work for my own site and suddenly it's like 8 p.m. and like what (laughs) like how did that even happen I I've been using the Pomodoro method so I've got all of the like I'm timing everything I have no idea how it ended up like there's a time slip I don't even know yeah and so the thing that I keep moving is the work for my own site and I am hoping by airing this particular shame that I will entice myself to finish the project that 
is sitting on my desk right behind me. <laughs> like, there's a printable that's already been generated. It is not difficult. It is like a five-step tutorial. It just needs to be photographed and completed. Yeah. Like, it's... I've already written the tutorial, mm-hmm. like, and designed the printable. And it just keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So, ugh. I mean, it happens, like... I mean, since all three of us... There's only two of us here today, but all three of us are full-time designers. And it just... It's what happens. Like, there's nothing to be done. I mean, you ha- we have to get deadline work to pay our bills because this is our job. But, right. but it's so hard when in addition to any deadline work you have for a client, you're running your own site, which is kind of like running your own magazine, even though it's a website. And right. a lot of times, that's why when people, if you follow a lot of bloggers, listeners out there, um, if you follow a lot of bloggers, oftentimes they'll get a book and then kind of ghost for a while. And it's because they have so much friggin' work to do. And it's just how it is. Yep. I know exactly how that works. Yeah. Um... So forgive us if our blogs end up being quiet at any given time. <laughs> We're trying. Yes. We're all working like 12 hour days. very busy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's the problem because when you're working on deadline work, like you can't show it. So you can't show the in progress stuff. Yeah. So you go quiet yep. everywhere and people think you're not doing anything like yeah. you're taking the summer off. Yeah. But, but I feel very guilty that I am doing so well in keeping up with the other things and so bad <laughs> at my own website right yeah. now. Well, then I just need to step it up. Then you can do the uh, technique we talked about in the other episode of just laying out some yarn or thread and being like, look at this project I'm working on. Meaning, I took this picture and I wish I was working on this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, it, the aspirational social mm-hmm. media post. Yep. Oh man. Yeah. <sighs> well... I guess since there's only two of us, we're on a mini train of shame today, and uh, my entry is... Just the engine and the caboose? Yes, I am the caboose, or caboose, as I said the other time. (laughs) Um, My my caboose of the train of shame is just filled with the four circle skirts that I worked on, inspired by me, made May, oh, months ago. I worked on them for that, yeah. I worked on them for that weekend, and I got far, but... That none of them have waistbands. I haven't touched them since, but I did make an entire Afghan pattern and have been running a podcast and all of these other things. So they'll they'll get there. But since they're for me, like the blog ends up being a lower priority sometimes for work. But then like real life and like stuff for oneself oh, yeah. is like out the out the window. It's in the caboose and it's gonna stay oh, there yeah. till I give myself permission to take a weekend and not work. Yeah, and that is. That is at least why I'm lucky that my blog is still a pan crafting blog. Mm-hmm. So I can use all of that sort of thing, but also then all of that sort of thing is work. Yep. Yep. So there's no just making a thing for me because then I feel guilty <laughs> about not having photographed it. And ugh, it's a mess. Yep. Maybe I just need to let go of the guilt. Just let it go. Yeah. I mean, the train of shame, if anybody else wants to hop aboard our train of shame, Mm -hmm. um, the train of shame is really good. It's almost like therapy. (laughs) 
for for all the crafts you haven't done or haven't finished for so long. Um, you are exercising your uh, your guilt. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, if you would like to exercise your guilt, um, you can do so on social media using hashtag VSC, as in very serious crafts. Hashtag VSC train of shame. And one of these days, we're going to get organized enough to have like callers record like a voicemail sharing their train of shame stories so we can feature that at the end of future episodes so you don't have to listen to us being like we had work again and didn't finish our thing again womp womp (laughs) which i mean really it all falls under we were supposed to do this work and then other work happened so we didn't finish the other work yeah well, and sp- or we did finish the other work, and we didn't finish the first work. There's so much work. Yeah, I don't even know. Well, <laughs> speaking of work and the train of shame, we probably uh, we should probably sign off for this episode and get down to it. A. Yeah, it's our stop. A. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, guys. Have a good couple of weeks. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye. bye.